Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Huschuk. I'm here with my special guest, Lisa Dahl. I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Yes. I am the queen of butchering names. If you follow me enough, I'll, I'll butcher your name eventually. <laughs> <laughs> my kids grew up being known as either Barbie or Ken Dahl, so we used to laugh. So it's one of those easy names. <laughs> okay, awesome. Now, what exactly do you do for our audience? I am an intuitive eating and body image health coach. And what that means is that I work with women to help them undiet their lives. I am the person to say, you have permission to eat any foods, get rid of the good food, get rid of the bad food. It's food. I help you learn how to listen, trust, and respect your body to be happy, healthy, and confident at any size. Awesome. I hear so many people, you have to try this diet. You have to try this program. As a nutritionist, I go, why? You should know your body, what you need. (laughs) Yes. So it is breaking down all of those norms and all of those things that you have been told over and over and over again. And because you have heard them over and over again, you believe them to be true and that you focus on what everybody else thinks you should be doing and don't pay attention to being in your body and understand what you need. So I try to get you out of your, I work to get you out of your head and into your body. We need more people like you. (laughs) I love what I do. I love, love, love what I do. I mean, okay, there's a couple of different things here. One, if you're morbidly obese and you sit in the bed and just eat, obviously that's not a wise health choice. However, if you weigh 120 pounds, you shouldn't necessarily be dieting on Weight Watchers, right? I tried, I work (laughs) to eliminate all diet mentality Mm -hmm. and to focus on the actions and the behaviors, because you can have somebody who is in a larger body be healthy or unhealthy, and you can have somebody in a smaller body be healthy and unhealthy, because it has nothing to do with the number on the scale. And it is the stress and the impact of how our society views weight, that is actually one of the leading causes to ill health, not the number on the scale. You know, there's big difference between somebody who is taking actions and practicing behaviors that leads to better health. And health is not, my version of health is gonna be different than your version of health. And everybody has the right to choose what health really means to them and how health and and how they want to live their life. So getting rid of all of those shoulds and I have to, and the expectations, learning to understand what your relationship to food and body looks like, and how do you want to choose your next best step? Now, this is an interesting topic, but what led you into this field of work? So I am a former lifelong dieter and started dieting when I was 12 years old, being uncomfortable in my body. And when I shifted my career, I'm a former caterer. When I shifted my career a little over five years ago, I thought, oh, I'm going to be the weight loss coach. I know how to lose weight better than anybody I know. I know how to keep it off for longer periods of time better than anybody I know. And give me some education. I'm going to be all set. 
And then what I discovered is as I continue to research and learn, because I'm always looking to be the best coach that I could be, I came across a book called Health at Every Size, which introduced me also to the practice of intuitive eating. And what I discovered is that I had my own disordered eating challenges. And because I was surrounded by people that you know were like me, it all seemed normal. I didn't know that it was disordered eating or that it wasn't healthy because I was doing all of these things in the name of healthism and sizeism and all of these things that I thought to be true. And when I discovered that I had my own disordered eating challenges, I knew ethically and morally that I could no longer support women to lose weight. And it took a while to transition because my value was so based on how I showed up every day and how I looked and the number on the scale. And it took time to dismantle those pieces and to create a new truth for myself. And I noticed that, you know, on the days that I weighed myself, which was multiple times a day that I was always stressed. And then when I started working with my clients with weight loss, I could feel their stress and anxiety. And I started to say, you know what, we don't need to do this. You know, you're making all these amazing changes in your actions and behaviors to only feel defeated by the number on the scale. So I started to gradually change that metrics with the changes that I was making. And then at some point I kind of said, I'm done. And I became a weight inclusive, non-diet, undiet health coach. That is an awesome story and awesome why you continue to do this. We are in a society, you look at your models, doesn't matter if it's in a magazine, newspaper, ad, TV, whatever it is, they're either tiny little twigs or they go to the plus size figure because that's what they're marketing. There is no one that's a normal size because we don't have normal sizes. There is no, you know, normal, if you look at, if you just go out for a walk and you look around how many different shapes and colors and sizes we all are, Mm -hmm. and it's only through advertising and money and profit, have we set up this paradigm that we are supposed to be X and anything out of X, we're going to target so that they can become this. Mm And why is this better? It's it just, it's all, it's, it's so infuriating on how many people are unhappy and conditioned to be unhappy for somebody else's profit and gain when it really has no metrics on their health. Look at your blood work, look at your energy level, look at your stress level, look at your financial health. All of those things come into play for whole body health, not the number on the scale. Exactly. And this has taken me years. I mean, if you've known me since kindergarten till now, you've known my weight has been tiny twig to much larger. You know, that's how it's stress level. Where was my stress level at? Oh, you're too skinny. So you need to eat more. You're too fat. So you need to diet that, you know, you have all these people, especially women have all these people in your ear constantly about weight. Absolutely. And when we see people who, you know, we're so eager to compliment somebody who has lost weight and the first things out of our mouth are, oh, you look so amazing. You've lost weight. Well, one of three things have happened. They're either ill, they're grieving, you know, experiencing some sort of trauma, 
or we are praising their disordered eating or eating disorder challenges. So people would see me and they would say, oh, you know, you're so thin, you're this, you're that. And that fed my disordered eating because that was how I was valued. Oh, you've got such great willpower. Oh, I want to be just like you. Mm-hmm. And it kept me stuck because, you know, you feel, you know, privileged to be in a smaller body, which is BS. Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, I just met with my group today and we were talking about, um, how you see yourselves and a problem that you have and how you would look after your problem is resolved. And we did it through um, drawings. And one of the women shared, you know, she feels heavy because, and she was talking about the stress and the anxiety and all of these mental and emotional, nothing to do with her physical body. And her final image was a feather and that she would feel light as a feather, but she was talking about taking the stress and the burden of all of the things that are causing her to feel weighted down, which had nothing to do with her body. How do we view our lives out of the vessels that we're born into and thinking about all of those other things that make us feel weighted down because it's not about the number on the scale. It's really not. Um, Last year, last summer was my last summer with my dad. And we had a family gathering. Now I'm there with my sister and my nieces and they're tiny little size zeros. And here I am in this picture, my dad's skinny. Well, my dad's at that time was dealing with cancer and, you know, he's not well, but he had it very well in that picture. And I looked at myself, oh, I'm fat. That was the first thing that was to my mind because of why I was told my entire life, you have to be this way or that way. Right. How do we learn to unpack our bags and know, you know, who helped us pack that baggage? Mm -hmm. Where did those messages come from? Where did we begin to lose trust in our bodies? And it often comes from parents or caregivers at school, society, we're not, we're born loving our bodies and curious about our bodies. And if you have children, I mean, think about, I remember being a mom and how much joy I had just playing with my little kids, my babies and playing with their bellies and watching them giggle. They love their bodies. Yes. And then they walk out of our safe space and everything starts to fall apart. And it's learning when I work with clients, it's learning to go back in to the way that we were as children, learning to listen, trust, and respect our bodies. As infants, we're born being able to regulate our fullness cues. When we're done, like if we are nursing, if you're, or bottle feeding, when the baby's done, they're going to pull away. And then as caregivers or parents, we're always, you know, one last bite, which is teaching those babies to not trust their, and their their wisdom of fullness. And then they start to go out in the world and people start to become judgmental and comment on their growth and comment on their body, or they're listening to their parents and their moms who are saying, you know, oh, you know, I shouldn't eat this or my body, you know, this, this, or that. Mm -hmm. And our kids are listening and they're thinking, well, if my mom who I love and adore doesn't like her body, how can I like my body? So the messaging is everywhere. 
It is. Uh, unfortunately, I had a grandmother that says, you need to be in ballet at the age of six and you need to be the skinny little twig. But at the same time, at dinner table, she would have fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. And anyone that knows nutrition knows you're not going to be a skinny little twig eating fried food every night. <laughs> you know, or it goes back to trusting how, you know, honoring your hunger and your fullness. Mm-hmm. And that when you eat all foods and you tune in, it doesn't become the special food. You know, oh, I shouldn't have that. And because I haven't had it all year, I'm going to eat and eat and eat and eat. So it's learning how to, you know, from my perspective with the practice of intuitive eating, we really focus on giving yourself permission to eat all foods so that when you, you know, so that there's less and less privileged foods of, you know, I haven't seen it in a year. You know, it's like think about the holidays and there's special foods that come out. And you more often than not, you eat, you overeat and you blow past your fullness cues because you're not going to see it for another year. So it's taking in and shifting your relationship with giving yourself permission to eat all foods and noticing your hunger and your fullness cues. Because when you're eating mindfully and you can understand the nuances or the body speak of your body, it shifts your relationship with how much food you end up actually needing or wanting to be satisfied. Right. As a six-year-old, we don't understand this when mom says, here, eat this plate of food that I made for you. You know, adults make their child's plates and you don't get up in the household that I lived in to your plate is clear. It doesn't matter if you're not hungry. So you have this mentality as a child. This is how much is a normal plate. Well, it might not be your normal it's your mom's normal right and she's doing it from a place of love she wants you to be nourished or Mm -hmm. she's doing it from a place of financial insecurity or food insecurity there's so many different reasons of don't waste food and we take those messages and they become the rule book of how we eat so that we don't understand our fullness by listening to our body we look at our plate that when it's gone, that's when we're full. I mean, we were told there's starving children in Africa, you know, there's starving children everywhere. And we, you know, it's, we've all had that story of, well, what are we going to do? Take my leftover dinner plate and stick it in the mailbox. I mean, where it's, it's understanding that your body wisdom is, has far more value than what somebody is telling you about how much you should, or you shouldn't eat and to taking back your power. Exactly. We have this voice inside of ourselves that tell us when we're full. We have to get back to listening to that voice. And we do need coaches like you to help us figure that out. Because how many people out there are told that's not the normal? You know, we have to find our normal for our health. We have to find out are always stress eating. I'm a big big person on stress eating. If I'm stressed, I'm eating and I don't care if I'm full or not. Yeah. How do you build out your self-care toolbox Mm -hmm. and emotional eating? You know, we all grow up thinking emotional eating is this horrible thing. If we flip it and say, you know what? It's a signal that there's stuff that's going on that we're not willing to deal with. 
So if you view it from curiosity of why am I doing this? You know, what do I need? And be willing to go down that path to try to heal. It changes your relationship with that food because, you know, at first we're told, you know, it's horrible. It's awful. And if we change our perspective and look at it with a different lens, we can use that information to our benefit. It's just a really hard road to go down because you have to get in touch with yourself and you have to stop listening to Jack and Jill who are around you. And it's a hard thing to do. And when you start listening to yourself, you're going to lose a lot of friends. You're going to lose family members. You're going to lose a lot of your network because they don't have the same perception as you do. It is. It's a challenge because women come together to body bash and talk about their, you know, I'm eating this, I'm not eating that, or she's doing this and she's doing that. And it's a challenge for us to celebrate something positive about our bodies. So it's how do you come into those conversations and create boundaries or learn to adeptly change the conversation or to be daring and say something different so that the conversation goes in a different way with empowerment versus discard, you know, as opposed to discouraging and disparaging each other. It's, you know, when I work with my clients, you know, people often say, you know, or they've been told, you know, I'm so worried that, you know, you don't have self-esteem. I worry more about my clients that don't have self-compassion because with self-esteem, you're comparing yourself to one another. And that's great on a good day. Mm -hmm. What happens on those hard, more challenging days? Self-compassion is there on the good, the pleasant, the unpleasant, and everything in between. So learning self-compassion is one of the most important practices that you can learn when you are trying to heal from eating, you know, disordered eating and eating challenges. Right. I have friends that are much heftier than I am, but they're healthy. They're very, very healthy. And they made the choice of, I eat for me. I eat what I need for my body. Also have friends that are heavier that are not healthy. And they're constantly dieting, trying to lose weight. And they get all excited when they lose the 10 pounds and then something happens and they gain 20. And that's the reality. I mean, the statistics are that within two to, you know, within one to five years, Mm -hmm. you are going to regain that weight. And chances are you're going to regain greater weight. Mm -hmm. The before and after pictures that you see, chances are that next picture is going to go be exactly what that before picture looked like. And people don't understand that what happens when you do that diet cycle is because of the restriction and the deprivation, our bodies don't trust ourselves. And as soon as that dam breaks, there's the refeed and we keep eating because our bodies don't, you know, they don't like to be starved. We need food to thrive. Mm -hmm. And when they go in, we finally start to eat the self control, you know, that self-imposed self-control loses. It's, It's just not possible. It's really not. I, it's okay. You don't, you cut off your sugars. How many times have we dieted and just said, okay, I'm going to cut out all sugar. So that's your sweets, that's your pies, that's your cookies, candies, whatever. Now you're doing really good, but that candy bar looks really good in the shelf. You don't just buy one, you buy three or four or five, and then you're right back to where you were a month ago. Right. Cause it's not about the food. 
it, it has nothing to do with the food. It has to do with your relationship to the food. Mm-hmm. And when you give yourself permission, you know, I have my clients through the practice of habituation, give themselves practice, giving themselves permission to eat food. And, you know, it's with time, we always say, you know, one of the examples I always use is, you know, if you have one M&M, so what? You have 10 M&Ms, so what? You have a handful, how do you feel? How do you feel when you have a pound of M&Ms? And going through giving yourself permission to eat as many M&Ms as you want or whatever food that is connected to them, Mm -hmm. that chances are you're not gonna want that food to that quantity three weeks into this experiment because you will have unconditional permission to eat it. You're going to know that it's there and you're not going to need to eat the pound of M&Ms and you're going to be able to shift and say, Oh, you know, I've got M&Ms in the house. I'm going to have a few. So what? Exactly. I have a candy drawer that I, I know the candy is there. It's overfulling right now because my daughter hasn't been helping me eat it, but it's been there for, you know, months. I know it's there. I don't need it every day. But I give myself permission because I bought it. I know it's there. I just don't want it. Right. And and there's times where you might notice that you are going to it. And that's when you want to say like, okay, you know, what's shifted? What's going on? Learning to take that pause to respond versus react, because that's giving you a message that something has changed. And sometimes food is the answer. Sometimes we do need that comfort. Mm-hmm. How do we build that toolbox so that it is more than just that food? Exactly. Now, where can our listeners and our viewers find you so they can work with you directly? Um, the best way to find me is at lisadollwellness.com. And if you go to my website, I have a free five-day mindful eating experience, which you can register for. That'll just show up in your email. And it just takes you um, each day for five days through a mindful eating practice that is short and simple and a great way to dip your toes into exploring intuitive and mindful eating. That is awesome. I mean, we don't Actually, until you came on the show, I've never heard of a person that does intuitive eating. I've done intuitive mindset. I've done intuitive emotional health. I've never heard of emotional or intuitive eating. It is intuitive eating was created about 26 years ago by two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, and they had a traditional practice And their clients would be doing great until they weren't. And they kept seeing them coming through and cycling as the typical diet cycle. Mm -hmm. And from there, they developed 10 principles of intuitive eating. And it's, there's been over 150 studies now that supports their research and their practice. And the principles are reject diet mentality, honor your hunger, Um, challenge the food police, discover satisfaction, honor your hunger, feel your fullness, respect your body, movement, which is more about joy as opposed to shrinking your body. Mm -hmm. And nutrition comes last because as soon as you bring nutrition into somebody who is a dieter, it's easy to fall back into the rules and to get back into your head. So we bring nutrition in last so that we can continue to focus and practice on how you feel in your body 
and not by counting calories. So when I work with clients, we don't talk about calories. We don't talk about macros. We don't talk about number on this, the number on the scale. We don't talk about how long you have done X exercise. We take all those triggers out of the, the content so that we can focus on what your relationship and how you feel in your body. That is wonderful. Like I said, I've never heard of it until today, but I'm so glad I did. This is what this video show is for, is to not only educate my viewers and listeners, but also educate me. Because going through culinary arts, going through nutrition, I've never heard this. And battling my own weight through the years, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. If I had known what I know today, my 12-year-old self would never have dieted. I would have saved myself so much time, money, tears, anxiety, stress, all of those things, and focused my energy on things that brought me joy versus worrying about what size I am and looking in my closet on this side, you know, the side of the closet that I can fit into and the size of the closet that I can't fit into. It is, there's so many other things that we can spend our time on versus fixing our bodies that don't need to be fixed. No, we just have to get back to loving our body. How it's body piece, you know, how do we, you know, and you don't wake up loving your body after you have tortured it and been at war with it for so long. How do we create that ladder that it's step-by-step and even, you know, body respect, because when you respect your body, you treat your body better. Think about how you treat people who you respect and who you love and, the words that you say to them and the actions that you take. We want to learn to take those things and bring them on to ourselves. That is very true. But we are almost out of time. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I love talking about what I do. I'm grateful for the platform. You're, you're very, no, this is a very good thing because more people need to be in your field because we need to do away with things like white watchers and curves and you know the Atkin diet and whatever name a diet here dot right. diet <laughs> you know yeah, we have right. to get away it's, from that and january is the month of broken promises oh i'm going to do this you know this is going to fix you this is going to do this you're going to lose that you're going to do that it is the month of of just broken promises of smoke and mirrors is what i call it and it your it's, first three months of the year, January, February, March, you have your res- New Year's resolution, you work the resolution for 30 days, and then you give up the resolution because why I don't have time, I'm hungry. It's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. And by March, then, now you're feeling guilty that you should have never uh, started the diet because you feel worse now than you did in January. Yes. It just, it's a perpetuating cycle that can be broken. You are not destined to diet your entire life. There is another option and it is one of the most freeing experiences that you can have if you are trapped in a diet mind. And thank you so much. And one more time in case the viewers missed it, your website. Um, it is Lisa Dahl Wellness, D-A-H-L. So Lisa dollwellness.com. Thank you so much. And for our listeners and our viewers, stay healthy.